you'll take your Bibles and you turn with me to Psalm 24 as we look at our scripture for this morning. Real quickly, we forgot to note that the rose on the altar is for Miles Emanuel Emerto, born to Matt and Beth Emerto last Sunday. So uh, whoever can get there first after the service gets it. I'm just kidding. We'll take it to them. Um, also, you know you might be in the Bible Belt when you ordain Randy and Brandy on the same service. A couple, about 18 years ago, after our second daughter was born, uh, my wife and I both just felt like we'd been through the ringer. You know, we have that, you know, had a little, had a toddler at home and then had another baby. And there was a couple in our church that had a mountain house and they kind of saw us one Sunday. And I guess we both looked like we had been in a car wreck um, and then thrown into the lake and then went to church. And uh, they kind of looked at us and said, how are y'all doing? We're like, we're real, really burned out and really tired. And haven't got much sleep and you know and they said well you know we have this mountain place that we don't get to very much and we'd love it if y'all just went up there and we, I, they didn't even get finished with the sentence and I was like yes we'll be there you know and so and so well just let us know when, when you want to go and so we were like this afternoon you no know, but uh, I think we, we picked out a time maybe a couple weeks later and you know they gave us their key and we went, and of course, it's just like typical, you know, trying to get your kids out the door is like, you know, it takes an act of Congress to happen, and we got late, got there late, and got off late, and it took longer, even though it was an hour away, and somebody threw up in the car, and all that kind of stuff, and so we got to the place, and we just kind of threw our stuff down, and put our kids in bed, and duct taped them to the bed, and then went to bed ourselves, and then we woke up the next morning, and the house was clean, and it didn't smell like diapers, and there was a view outside and we, you know, and it was quiet. And for some reason, the Lord blessed us with letting our kids sleep past like four in the morning. And uh, we got coffee and we sat out on this deck and we looked around. And the thought first occurred to me was like, this could be mine. Oh, yes, it could be. How amazing that would be. Let's leave the children and run away, you know. And it was so tempting to take all of that in and just go like, oh, man, this this could be mine. This, this, this is wonderful. This is amazing. This could be mine. And yet the overwhelming sensation was, this is not mine at all. But man, I'm blessed by it. This doesn't belong to me at all. But wow, how amazing it is. This in no way is part of my possession, belonging to me. But what a refreshing thing it is. And David starts out Psalm 24 the exact same way. And he brings it to even a greater conclusion when he begins and he starts talking about the truth and he says, the earth is the Lord's. It doesn't belong to me, but man, I'm blessed by it. Everything belongs to him. He is the Lord's, and that includes me. I mean, he, I belong to the Lord. Everything. And I want to start out by saying before I do anything else that God is Lord. And so this psalm, the Psalm 24, was actually sung once Herod's temple was built every Sunday or every Sabbath in the temple. And again, it's an antiphonal song. So if we we're going to do something antiphonally, either we'd have people on the, uh, the balcony say something and we'd say something else, or people on this side of the sanctuary say it and this people on the side of the sanctuary echo it. But typically what would happen would be the leader would call out something like a question and the people would answer it. And so there was this back and forth. And we, like I said before at the beginning, we love this. If you're a state fan, you know, you're on one side of the stadium and the other side, there's this wolf back or red, white, or if you're Tar Heel, whatever. The same thing, but this antiphonal psalm of response of jubilation. Now, there's a little bit of a language barrier to us because when we start talking about raise up you heads, oh you, raise up your heads, oh you gates, or you doors, we go, is, am I missing something here? A, a gate and a door do not have heads. 
there's something that's going on that we'll understand a little bit. But remember last week when we were saying about praise, that we were also talking about let the rivers praise. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing out. Let all of creation praise. And so there's this idea of even inanimate things because they're created by the Lord. And that's why verse number one is so important have a voice in their praising the Lord. But there's something even greater. We'll get to that in just a minute. So if you got your Bible, take your Bible out and turn to verse number one in Psalm 24. And Psalm 24 begins with verse one with simply saying the truth. Psalm 24 verse one is just the truth. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. He is the divine creator. And when it says all, everything, all means all. There's nothing that is in the earth that is not the Lord's. Even things that are evil were once good and have been corrupted. Or people, even some things that have been made have been made from something that the Lord made. So the Lord, everything he does is God's. Everything that God does belongs to him too. And so David says this. He looks up and you can imagine if just for a minute David getting up, just like me going onto the roof, I mean onto the the deck of the beautiful mountain place, David gets up, goes onto the roof of the palace and looks out to survey everything. And David above everyone else at that time could have been tempted to say, ah, look what is mine. Look what I have done. But he doesn't. He surveys it all and correctly says, this all belongs to the Lord. And this is where we get this fancy word, steward. It's not mine, I'm just a caretaker of it. It's stewardship. I'm just a steward. And in this day and age when we talk about privilege, and we just so-and-so has privilege, or these people have privilege, David is saying, and how privileged are we to have been chosen to be in the place where God has created, among his creation. It all belongs to him, and what a blessing to be there among him. So verse 2, he then goes on, and he says, listen, God is the predator. He predates all of this. Before all of this that we see, God is, God was, God will be. And not, not only that, but before we think that God is this almighty um in the sky, God is personal. With his hands he is created. He has a hand in making it. Now we get to this part where, where we need to come back to a place where we have an understanding of how the ancients thought that creation took place. So if you were to turn back to Genesis chapter 1, you would see that in Genesis 1, I believe it's Genesis 1, 6, it says that God created a space between the waters and he called the space land. And you go, what in the world? Waters in, is the, to the ancients symbolize chaos. And so what he's saying is God took where there was chaos and created and let there be habitability. Places where people could be. God brings order to chaos. God brings solidness. He brings habitation. And so this is also important for us to know. God is not a God of chaos. God is not a God of some a misunderstanding either. God is a God of black and white. And so we see this here as David says it as well. And then if you would like later on to go back and refer to Psalm 15, or maybe if you, if you have a thumb on your left hand, um, you can put it in Psalm 15 and kind of refer back and forth to this. But verse 3 and Psalm 15 both come to the exact same place. And this, this, there is a call and appeal to holiness and sanctification before we come into God's presence. And this is something that we don't do very well. You know, again, it, we feel like it's a miracle if we can get out the door in just enough time for us to slide into church. And if we have said a prayer on the way there, that's just a bonus. But he says, listen, before you come into God's presence, there needs to be a check. You need to check your heart posture. You need to check your character. You need to check your attitude. We cannot just come into God's presence without confessing our sin. The same way that you would look at your white shirt and say, is there a stain on it? I can't go out like this. We need to look at our hearts and examine ourselves. And so in verse 4, we get this seemingly 
insurmountable list. Who can come into God's presence? Now, post-gospel, we know from Romans chapter 2 that no one can. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we look at this list, no one that's lied, no one that's idolater, no one that's buried false witness, no one that has ungodly character, none of these people can come into God's presence. And everyone that has those characteristics, raise your hand. And we all raise our hand and go, well, I guess none of us can. Well, David is not maybe speaking prophetically, but he is actually a little bit drilling down on, listen, you cannot just come into God's presence and not acknowledge your sinfulness. But there is something beautiful that he also says about this verse. Because he just says, he says, only those whose hands are clean, are pure. They have not washed their, washed their hands in the blood of idols, but instead they have been purified by the Lord. And so he's saying, listen, there's got to be a call among us that are going to come into God's presence for righteous character. For good habits. He says, when those who have not worshipped idols, notice that idols and bear false witness are all share the same thing together because they both have the exact same sentiment going on. To worship an idol is to trade what is priceless for what is worthless. I'm going to say that one more time. To worship an idol is to trade what is priceless for what is worthless, worthless and to practice deceit is to trade the truth for a falsehood. Or to trade the truth for a lie. So both of these things, there's a transaction that is taking place. And so one of the holiest things that you can do is simply to value the truth. One of the holiest things you can do is simply to place the correct value on God, on the Lord, on, on your relationship with Him. So verse 5, we say again, no one is able to meet these standards. No, no, no one can do these things. Who's going to come and receive these blessings? No one can do that. But David is looking forward to the answer when he answers it here in the end of verse 6 and the end of verse 5, because notice how the end of verse 5 says, he doesn't say God the Lord, God the King. How does he refer to God? God the Savior. God the Savior. And I believe that what he's doing, I believe that he is working out what, what God says to Genesis, God says to Abraham in Genesis 15, 6. That because of your belief in who I am, that will be credited to you as righteousness, Abraham. Because you believed and so he is looking forward to that and he's saying, listen, I believe that God is my Savior and that grace will be given. And when we take God as Savior, that's not just a last name of God, that's a title of who he is and what he does. Then verse 6, because God is Savior, because God has saved me, because God then at the very end of verse 6, who has God tied himself to? Jacob? God has tied himself to the name of Jacob. Jacob is synonymous with the word what? Deceiver. Jacob was the deceiver. That's what he's known for. That's his legacy. He was a deceiver. He was a liar. He stole his brother's birthright. And yet God chooses to have his name linked with that. Didn't David just say no one can come into God's presence unless they are free of lies? But he's given us a little bit more of saying, listen... God is the God that redeems those kind of people. God is the God that saves those kind of people. God is the God who has gone forward and given it to them. And because God saves us, we can worship him. Because God saves us, we can adore him. Because God saves us, we can recognize and pronounce and proclaim his holiness to the nations. 
And then we get verses 7 through 10. Now verses 7 through 10 all come in here together because this is the praise part. This is the part where you have the people just coming in and responding to one another. And you can imagine every Sunday this would have been a boisterous event. Remember last week when we were talking about that there were harps and that there were lyres and that there were trumpets and there were horns. And this loud boisterousness and this shouting and this clapping of hands. And I worry that maybe it had got to be writ, wrote since they did it every Sunday. But I hope it wasn't. I hope it wasn't wrote. But they would give this antiphonal praise back to one another. And so when it says gates or doors, what that is synonymous with in the Old Testament is city hall. The gates and the doors of the city were where all the business of the city were taken care of. If you want to see a lot of this go on, turn to, look at 2 Samuel. And you'll see Absalom coming to usurp the throne of David. And he will go out to the what? Gates of the city and speak to people and interact with them and transactionally work. But then when David comes to be reinstated after Absalom's death, he then goes back out to the gates of the city and he receives people and he forgives them and he pardons them and works. And that's where the transaction and the work in the heart of the city happened there in the gate. And so he's literally saying, city hall, the entire community, all of you, raise up your heads, open it up, look out. The king of glory, the one who is victorious is coming. And there's so many, so many images that this evokes. First of all, you know, going out, the army having gone out to be victorious in battle and then come back to receive the accolades, to receive the praise. Y'all, you know, we, we lose our minds when a professional sports team comes back to their city after they have won the World Series or the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals, or whatever, and there's a parade. Well, in the same way, if the city did not receive the Milwaukee Brewers, whoever it is, they would go, man, they, they were really disrespectful to them. Golly, they didn't, they didn't receive them the way they should be. And so this is an edict, not only to the city, but also to the inanimate objects. What did David say, and what did Jesus say when he was coming back up into the town through, uh, on Palm Sunday? If these children didn't cry out, even the rocks would cry out. Even the rocks would cry out. And so who's coming? There's this national cry, this heart cry, this city hall cry. Get ready. Be ready. Respond. The God of the angel armies is coming. Yahweh Asebaot is coming. The victorious one. The alone one. The only one. The glorious one. Prepare. Get ready. And just three quick things. The first thing is this. Do I live acknowledging the truth that God is Lord? Or do I live according to the truth that God is Lord? They're very different. If I live acknowledging that Jesus is Lord or that God is Lord, I give a nod and I go on. If I live according to the truth that Jesus is Lord, if I live according to it, I know it and I kneel before him. To acknowledge that Jesus is Lord or God is Lord is to know it and nod. To live accordingly is to know it and kneel. And so when David says here in verse 1, you can imagine David waking up, seeing everything, all of his kingdom. He has the military might. He has the accolades from his people. He has united the kingdom. He is affluent. He has other nations all over that region serving him, coming and bringing tribute to the Israelites. And he could have very well said, look what I've done. Look what I have. Yeah, I know God played a part in it, but look at me. We do this all the time on the highway. You know who we do it to? 
the highway patrol. We know that they're in charge, but we just nod to them. And we wave to them when we see them. And we nod to them, and when they're hiding behind their little thing, and don't speed this afternoon wherever you're coming back here to, to you know, candlelight service, because that's not a good excuse for getting out of a ticket. I'm going to current candlelight service. Well, enjoy this ticket on the way there. And you see them, and you see them over here on the highway, and you nod to them, and you're like, hey, I see you. And then the minute you get past them, what do you do? Back up to 80 miles an hour. Yeah, I know. I nod. But to live accordingly is to know and to kneel. (laughs) And in that analogy, you stick your cruise control on 55 or whatever it is, and there it is. I'll live accordingly. And the one time that David just acknowledged but didn't live accordingly was when he did go up onto his roof and looking out onto everything, he said, hey, her, she belongs to me. No, I know she belongs to someone else, but she's mine. And I'm going to make her mine. And I'm going to take her mine. And she's going to be mine. And then I'm going to figure out a way to get out of it once I've done what I want to do. And I'm going to give a nod to God, but I'm not going to kneel to God. But that's us as well. There's parts in our life where we've compartmentalized God's lordship. God, you can have lordship over these places, but these places are mine. And you've given a nod to God, but not knelt before him. There are other places or things where you think they're just too small. That's insignificant. That, that, that thing is insignificant. Let that just be mine, God. It's small. It doesn't really matter. Let this be mine. You have all this rest. This. Can this little thing over here be mine? And I, and I would kind of say, okay. Germany, big country in the world or small country in the world compared to Russia, China, America? Small. Do a lot of damage in World War II? Yeah. Size does not matter when it comes to lordship. And then finally, sometimes we forget how precious we are to the Lord. God, I don't, I've so messed up. I've done this, I've done that. I'm beyond this, I'm beyond that. Your, your lordship is great, God, but you don't, you don't want to be lord of this. And we forget that God doesn't want to be lord of something. God already is lord of everything. Are we nodding to him or are we kneeling before him? Secondly, and I'm running out of time, sometimes the greatest act of obedience is just simply not giving away what's precious. Sometimes the greatest act of obedience is simply not giving away what is priceless. That's the greatest act of obedience, not giving away what's priceless. Now, you know what? If you ever want to have an exercise in this, list something on Craigslist and then put trades negotiable. Y'all, Boy, if you want an adventure, I have sold some guitars and some mountain bikes on Craigslist. And people will go, hey, are you interested? I'm just superimposing their accent because this is what I think they sound like. Hey, you interested in trades? What do you have in mind? You know, keep in mind, I've got like a $500 guitar here. And they're like, listen, i got a miniature pygmy goat. They only got three legs. Call him Tripod. He's real sweet. We bottle fed him for 15 years. He maybe got two more summers left in him. What you think? You have a real easy time going, no way. No way. The value is just no way. And yet in our own lives, there's so many things that we have that are priceless that we put price negotiable on them. Think about how dearly bought purity is and how easily it is dealt away. How dearly bought integrity is. All integrity is is exchanging the truth for the truth all the time. 
That's all it is. It's being truthful. And how quickly and worthlessly it's let go. Think about fidelity. All fidelity is is sticking. 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 All you have to do is human duct tape. Just stick. That's all you have to do. How priceless it is and yet how easily it is given away. This neighbors of ours that moved away, they didn't have a garage sale, they had an estate sale. And that meant they had just people can go through their house and they had put price tags on everything. And I thought to myself, how crazy is that? I can't even imagine walking around and putting prices on all these things and I'm sure a company helped them. What would you put on things? You would have definite ideas. But if you thought and you looked at your heart and you looked at your life, what would you say? Because David says, only those who have not been worshiping idols or deceitful and worshiping idols is to exchange what is priceless for what is worthless and being deceitful is to exchange the pricelessness of the truth for a lie and you would say priceless things we can't put price negotiable on them and so just like that estate sale I wonder if on our own lives when we look at our purity our fidelity our integrity would we say the price tag on those says priceless or would we say, the price tag on those says price negotiable. For the right price, I'd give that up. And sometimes the most obedient thing that we can do is simply truly valuing what is priceless. And finally, here's the last part. Let's end with grace. Let's end with grace. You know what? Jesus knew the kind of welcome that he would get when he came. And he came anyway. I, look, I, love, I love that these last parts, 7, 8, 9, and 10, are talking about the kind of welcome that you should give the king of glory when he comes. Luke chapter 2, did he get that kind of welcome? No. Think about this. There were even people that were part of Joseph's family that lived in Bethlehem, and they were like, no, nah, sorry. You can go hang out in the stable. Here's a manger. Here, I'm sure the donkey and the sheep were like, what's this baby doing in our salad? Um, some of y'all will get that later. They didn't get that kind of welcome. And think about this. This psalm was read on the Sabbath that Jesus came rolling up into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And he was not welcome this way. He wasn't welcome this way. The same ones that said, Hosanna, Hosanna, later on that week said, crucify him, give us Barabbas. And the leaders who should have been the main ones leading this, lift up your heads, oh, you gates, here comes the king of glory, the victorious one. They were saying, oh my gosh, in disgust, all have gone to him. Ah, our system is finished. Jesus knew the kind of welcome he was going to get and he came anyway. That's the beauty of the grace of Jesus Christ. The beauty of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so there's three, three parts and we're going to finish up. Jesus comes anyway. So I want you to think about this for this Christmas time, especially because you're getting back together with family members that may or may not be believers. Some of them you've been praying for for a long time. And here's the first one. The person who has and is rejecting Jesus currently right now, Jesus is coming anyway. Jesus is coming for him or her anyway. Y'all, there have been some times where I have shown up and someone has tried to hook me up on a blind date when I was about 16 or 17 years old and they didn't really give a good description to me of the girl. And I showed up and I knocked on the door and I went, oh, let's go. At least it'll be dark in the movie theater. I didn't say that. 
But Jesus knew that he was going to get that kind of reception, and he still is coming. Even if they have rejected him and held him out with their hand against him, he's still coming. He is not turned off or offended by their rejection. Secondly, in your life, where you knowingly struggle with his lordship, and you go again and again, Lord God, just like the first verse of this says, you're Lord over everything, I have not allowed you and I have kept you at bay from being Lord in this life. And Jesus says, I know I'm still coming. I know you've rejected me. I know you've held me at arm's length. I'm still coming. And thirdly and finally, where you have made a mess that you think is beyond cleaning up, and you go, Jesus, I'm not ready. I can't do it. It's a mess. I have wrecked it. It's far beyond. Jesus is still coming. Funny thing is about this is Molly finally has a college boyfriend now. So as you start asking these questions to yourself, is this the one? What's going on? Well, he's coming on December the 28th. My family, minus me, stayed up till like 1 a.m. last night cleaning because he's going to come to the house. Would he still come if our house was a mess? Absolutely. Because it's not about that our house is a mess, it's about my daughter is beautiful. Well, it's not about whether your life is a mess or not. It's about that you are loved far more than you will ever imagine. And you are more precious and priceless to the Savior than you can ever imagine. No matter how big of a mess you have made, he is coming anyway. No matter what kind of welcome he gets, he's coming anyway. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you and we bless you and we're so thankful that you come anyway, that you are greater and more majestic than we could ever imagine. And Lord, let the gates and doors of our heart fling wide and let the King of glory in. For he is, you are Lord of all. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Some of you who are used to my taking about 15 or 20 minutes now are a little nervous, so I'm, that's not my plan today. And I told Pastor Paul to feel free to take more time today. Most of my 11 o'clock sermon application transition has to do with an anthem the choir is singing today that Dr. Peter has put together. And I said, so let's just let you stick with this. So the, the bottom line for me is, you know, who is this that deserves this kind of attention? That's the question of Psalm 24. And our response is, oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. So we're going to stand and sing our closing hymn, which is, Thou didst leave thy throne. It's really one of my favorite Christmas hymns because it just tells not only about the incarnation of Jesus, but about, uh, it goes all the way to his second coming. This hymn was written by a pastor's daughter uh, who uh, just loved writing music and poetry, particularly for children and so her, her, her reflection, Emily Elliott in her name, is her name, but her reflection is, you know, what does it look like for me to really recognize that Jesus is there? Our, our versions, including the one I think we're going to sing, at least the one in our hymnal, uh, it leaves out, I think, one of the most powerful parts of her original lyrics. The third verse of this says, Thou camest, O Lord, with the living word that should set thy children free. But in mocking scorn, with crown of thorn, they bore thee to Calvary. And then it repeats in the third verse, the chorus of the first two. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. Her original version said, oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, thy cross is my only plea. 
So I love her original, we'll sing what's on the screen, but her focus really was on who is this who comes, I want to make room in my life and my heart for him. That might look very different to you or to me or whatever, but will you this week make sure that you make room in your heart and life for Jesus?